Good morning, church. Uh, it's wonderful to be with everyone once again. Uh, it's just a refreshing feeling to be worshiping with God's people uh, week in and week out. And I, uh, I cherish these times together. Um, and as we enter into the, the sermon this morning, as we, we sit under God's word, uh, sitting in the Psalms. It's been a, a wonderful summer just looking at how God speaks to his people through the Psalms and engaging the heart and engaging emotions. And this morning is no different as we look at the joy of confession. But before I get into that, I want to uh, share just a, a quick uh, story with you uh, because a couple of months ago, uh, Amy, for those of you that might not know, uh, Amy is my wife. Uh, Amy's parents were in town uh, and we had an impromptu date night. And so it was one of those things where we hadn't planned ahead. It was just, we had free childcare and we just ran out the door and said, good luck, good night. Uh, and everyone survived. But while we were out, uh, Amy and I were trying to figure out, well, what do we want to do together? And we're, we're big movie fans. We love the, the whole theater experience, you know, the, the popcorn and the, the big screen and just all of that, that we just, there's a, a, a bit of an escapism of just enjoying the full theater experience. But we went, um, we changed it up a little bit and because I, I'm, usually, I'm full confession, which isn't a huge surprise, but I'm, I'm like the Marvel Cinematic Universe guy. Like we've, I, at least I have, I've seen every single one of the Marvel movies in the theater and, you know, there's the surround sound and everything. But instead of the big action movie, we actually changed it up. And uh, we went out to the terrace out on Maybank Highway, and we went to go see uh, a movie called Yesterday, uh, which if you haven't seen it yet, it's an, it, oh, it's an amazing movie. It's, it's about this struggling musician uh, named Jack Malik, uh, who uh, he has beautiful music, but just never quite got his break. But uh, just when he's on the verge of giving up his music career altogether, there's a, a terrible accident, and when he wakes up from his accident, uh, he realizes that something has happened around the world, and everyone has forgotten, or uh, maybe even better way to say it is, the Beatles never existed. And so it's a, a sense of uh, what would our musical spectrum be like if the Beatles never existed? But with his musical talent and ability and background, he remembers all, almost all of the, the music and the lyrics and the songs. And so he starts writing down the lyrics and everything and starts performing the Beatles songs as his own. And everyone thinks that he's one of the most amazing singer-songwriters ever to grace the planet. And so it's this uh, uh, captivating, captivating movie of what if the Beatles had never existed. But for me, one of the, the greatest aspects of the movie was Jack's conscience. Uh, like I said, he's being heralded as one of the greatest singer-songwriters of all time, but his conscience begins eating away at him. Uh, he, he, his anxiety begins to increase, and he's having these nightmares of being found out. And What if someone else remembers? Or what if one day I wake up and all of this is over and I, I'm exposed as a fraud? And the movie is fun and engaging. It's a, a great what-if escapism of what if the Beatles had never existed. But for me, what the most compelling aspect of the movie 
aside from the phenomenal music that I cannot stop listening to the soundtrack, but it's Jack's conscience. Would his lies be uncovered? Would he learn to live with this hidden secret? And I'm not going to spoil the the ending, but for me, the, the struggle of will he admit these lies makes the movie so relatable for me. And so we look at at Psalm 32, and we actually see David writing, saying that there is joy and freedom found in confessing hidden things. And I would even argue that David is saying that all people should continually confess their sins to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that your salvation is dependent upon continually confessing. This isn't one of those things where, well, if you don't confess your sins every single day, you're going to lose your faith, so you better keep doing it. But it's an aspect of your sanctification, of your growing in grace, your growing in spiritual development. And there's a deep comfort in knowing that the Lord holds on to his people. And so as we look and examine Psalm 32, we actually uh, see how David shows how confession affects your heart. And so in verses 1 through 5, we see where true happiness is found. We see where true happiness is found in verses 1 through 5. In 6 through 9, we see where hope is found. Where hope is found in verses 6 through 9. In verses 10 and 11, we see where faithfulness is found. Where faithfulness is found in verses 10 and 11. And so before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are with us right now, God. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place that you would speak through me, God, that you would use me in my distraction, that you would use me in my brokenness to convey your gospel, that this would not be my work, this would not be my ruminations, my thoughts, but God, that this would be your gospel proclaimed. Be with us now this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, the first thing that we see uh, opening up Psalm 32, uh, the very first thing it says that this is a maskil of David. Uh, it, we're not entirely sure what exactly a maskil is, but it's some sort of liturgical term dictating the way that this song is meant to be sung. Because that's what the Psalms are. They're a collection of songs for God's people. And so this is some sort of term that dictates the way that the congregation is meant to sing. And it's probably some sort of of conveying that this is a song of instruction. It's not just uh, another song that that people would get together and sing, but it's a song specifically written to instruct God's people. And there's a beauty of the fact that this psalm is written with intentionality for God's people to sing about the joy of confessing sin. And look Look how David opens the psalm describing where true happiness is found. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This word for for blessed actually uh, can be translated as both blessed and happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That the forgiven person has happiness and joy because happiness is not circumstantial, but it's tied to a supernatural transaction to the one whose rebellious actions have been lifted and to the one whose sin has been pardoned and blotted out, that person will find blessing and joy and happiness, that there is freedom found in the forgiveness of sin. And then David describes his own condition. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." Verses 3 and 4 are describing uh, the sin eating away at him, just like I described uh, with Jack and his conscience in in the movie yesterday, uh, that these hidden secrets, these lies that he he had kept in were were just increasing his anxiety and giving him nightmares, and there was this overwhelming fear. And David is saying that he is feeling weak, that he is losing his strength and burdened under his sin. And yet this sin actually served as a blessing in disguise because his exhaustion led him to repentance. In his hiding of sin and in his exhaustion, he did not lay down and give up and wallow in his own misery, but his sin weighed him to the point of repentance. In verse 5, he acknowledged his sin to God. He did not hide his sin anymore. He did not cover his iniquity. He said, I will confess. And in that confession, as he bared his soul before the Lord, that Yahweh forgave him. Yahweh, the covenant God of creation, the covenant God of his people, the great I am. When David bore uh, or exposed his heart and 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 gave his sin over to the Lord. Yahweh forgave. We're not told exactly what sin it was that was eating away at David, but that doesn't matter because you and I are no different. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I might not be uh, the, the king and ruler of the nation of Israel, but you and I have our hidden sins just the same. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, 
for those of you that might not be familiar with, with the Westminster Confession and Catechisms, that they're summary statements, that they look at the whole of Scripture and take these large thematic elements and condense them into memora, memora, uh, forms that can be memorized. I was struggling with that word there. But it boils down these large elements of Scripture into chunks that can be taught and learned and memorized. And so when the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is sin? The answer is written that sin is any want of conformity unto our transgression of the law of God. That it is any want of conformity, that any lacking of adhering to the standard that God has set or the transgression of the, the actual breaking of the law. It's either a sin of omission, not doing what you should do, or sin of commission, not doing or doing what you shouldn't have done. And either way, whatever it was that David did, it is eating away at him. And like David, the hidden sins that you keep within your heart waste away your strength. You feel dried up under the heat of the summer sun. The hidden things that you keep when you, when you look at things that you know that you shouldn't be looking at. When you tell those white lies that keep getting bigger and bigger as you have to keep the lie going so the truth is not exposed. When you see the person who is alone and neglected and struggling and you turn your back and don't step in. When it's either active or passive sin It begins to weigh upon the heart and sap away your strength. And David says that the one who confesses that weight, that burden, finds blessing and happiness. And Paul unpacks and and describes how this blessing is increased and intensified through Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, Paul writes that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The confession of sin takes the, the sin from the, those hidden places of the heart. And blessing and happiness is found in forgiveness and confession. And though all people are born into sin... And that it is the natural human tendency to hide that sin so no one else uncovers and and discovers those wretched places of your heart that you hide. God steps into creation and Jesus Jesus comes, Jesus came to bring eternal blessing. That it's not just a blessing and happiness from a momentary confession, but an eternal blessing. Blessing and eternal joy and peace. 
that comes from confessing that Christ is Lord and that salvation and blessing is found in him alone. But confession does not just bring happiness because confession reveals where hope is found. Picking up in verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, to God, at a time where you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David saying that anyone who is godly, anyone who is good, anyone who is seeking to do right, pray to God while you are still able because no one is promised tomorrow. And David says, these great waters, the the. The, the strength and power of the rising sea will not reach him because God is a hiding place. God preserves his people. God surrounds his people with shouts of deliverance. And there is protection and provision in praying and confessing because Yahweh, the great I am, watches over his people. And the following verses are God's response to David. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That this covenant God of all creation, the covenant God of forgiveness and redemption says that he promises to give wisdom, to teach, and to watch over his people. But he gives a warning. He says, have a teachable spirit. Don't be like these stubborn animals which need to be forced into cooperation. But have a teachable spirit, not that he will take away these blessings that he gives, But by a lack of teachable spirit, by a lack of confession, by stubbornness, you're turning your back on the wisdom and the blessing that God gives to his people. It's not that God is threatening to take it away, but he's saying, do not be stubborn and neglect these things that I'm giving to you. And I want to just take a moment and contrast these blessings and this hope with how the world chases after hope. Not to make this an us versus thing, us versus them, but in an aspect of without Scripture, without Christ, chasing hope is a fleeting effort. And usually hope is best defined as if I just have fill in the blank, everything will be better. Without the gospel, that's the, that's the kind of hope that people are chasing after. If I can just have X, my life will be better. If I can just have that promotion at work, if I can just have that relationship with that person, if I can just have that new shiny toy or phone or video game or car or whatever it is, if I just have that possession, 
life will be better. If I just stick with this political party, if I just serve toward this aspect of social justice, if we just build a wall, if we just have more laws for or against whatever it is that you believe in, if, if we just have fill in the blank, then life will be better. But that's looking for hope in perishable things, created things that will pass away. But David says that hope comes through prayer and confession because in his prayer and confession to the Lord, he finds his hiding place. He finds preservation. He finds delivery and protection. His hope is not in perishable things that pass away. His hope is in the God who protects and provides those very things. The God who is with him in good times and bad times. So David makes the argument, pray and confess so that you may find your hope in him. And again, Paul intensifies this in the New Testament in Colossians 1, saying, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's protection and provision is increased exponentially through Christ because it's not just a protection, but it's redemption. It's the taking of the broken and being made new. It's the taking of, of the, 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 the guilty and being set free. Because in Christ, you're both forgiven and redeemed. And your confession is not to maintain that hope. It's not to, make, to, to cling to that protection but your confession is to keep a teachable spirit to keep your hope in line with the one who keeps you. And so where are you searching for your own hope? Is it in the perishable things of this world? Is it in the fleeting things that, that will not last? Your stuff, your status, the people you associate with? Or is it in the God who sent his own son to redeem you and call you his own? And once you discover that true happiness and hope comes through confession itself, then David rests on his third point, where faithfulness is found. In verse 10, David writes that many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That those who do not confess, those who do not repent, are filled with sorrow. But the one who trusts in this God of forgiveness finds steadfast love 
this chesed love that, that I keep reminding you about all summer long, this, this love and faithfulness of a God who covenants himself to his people, that even when you and I have been unfaithful, that God is the one keeping his faithfulness. And that for the one who trusts in the God of redemption finds that faithfulness. In recent weeks, there have been several popular names in in Christian circles that have been walking away from the church. A few weeks ago, it was Joshua Harris, for those of you that might have had your dating life wrecked by his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, that at this point, he's actually divorced his wife and walked away from the church saying that by his standard of what a Christian is and should be, that he is no longer a Christian. And he has walked away from the church trying to find his own journey. I think it was even this very past week that Marty Sampson, who is a songwriter for Hillsong, says that he is losing his faith largely because of his questions with Scripture and because of the behavior of other Christians. Now, I'm not claiming to know their hearts, but it appears that what they are chasing after is a moral behavior, that their faith has been founded on how a Christian is supposed to behave in order to to obtain and maintain that faith. It seems that their focus is on their own effort, that when that passion fades, when that excitement and that energy is struggling, that their response has been to walk away from the church. And I'll tell you right now that if your faith is on your own effort, it's going to fail every time. If it's resting on your passion, on your energy and excitement, it will fade and crumble and fail. Even within my own marriage, I have to make a a conscious effort to love Amy because there are struggles. There are days where you just don't want to love that other person, but I have to make the conscious effort. I'm going to, to sacrifice myself to love this person because a marriage is not based on passion. But I've made a covenant promise to love her and to cherish her, to adore her in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times. Our marriage is built on a covenant promise. And so even when I don't want to love her, I have to make the reminder that I've promised myself to her. And on a grander, more eternal scale, your faith is a covenant promise from God to you. That it's not your effort, but he is the one holding on to you. Even as we just sang that he will hold you fast. And scripture is full of this reminder in Deuteronomy 7. Know therefore that Yahweh your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. 
in Psalm 105.8 that he remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. A promise that was not founded on Abraham's ability to be good enough, but a promise that was founded on God's provision on him. And so your faith is not according to your effort, but your faith is rooted and based and built upon the promises of a covenant God, of his chesed faithfulness to never abandon his people. And sometimes this is oversimplified and referred to as once saved, always saved. But that's too simplistic because there are struggles and there's, there's a lack of passion And in the five points of Calvinism, it's referred to as the perseverance of the saints. But I prefer to understand it as one of my seminary professors phrased it, it's the preservation of the saints. That your faith is built and rooted upon not your own ability to keep God's commandments, but your faith is built and rooted in the God who is faithful to you. The God who clings to you. And so the unrepentant, as David said, are filled with sorrow. But for the Christian, faith and joy in the God who clings to you. So be glad and rejoice. That's why we come together. That's why we worship with one another and we sing songs of joy. Because your rest and your faith and your hope is not founded in your own effort to hold tight to God, but you can rest in the God who holds tight to you. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask you, where is your heart right now? Are you hiding in your sin hoping and maybe even praying that no one finds out your dirty secret as it slowly eats away at your conscience, drying, drying away your strength? Are you chasing after hope in temporary things and things that will not last and things that never fulfill and fighting to make your own faith? Or Will you confess your heart to the Lord and find true happiness in a clean heart and a clear conscience? Will you find your hope in the God who redeems his people and rest in the faithfulness of a God who is covenanted to not let his people go? Which will you choose? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning and we confess that far too often we rest in our own strength and our own ability that we want to be the ones that earn our hope and our, our happiness, that we want to be the ones that prove our faithfulness. But God, we confess 
that we cannot do it in our own strength. So God, we pray, will you meet with us here? God, we confess our sins to you, not to earn your love, not to earn your favor, but God, because you were the one who promised yourself to us first. Let us find our joy and our happiness and our hope by resting in your faithfulness, God. Be with us now, we pray in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.